Welcome to Canada's podcast, the number one podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. Hi, this is Angela Fay from Canada's podcast. Welcome to November and to Joel Sherlock from Vitalis Extraction. We're super excited to have Joel with us today. He is a serial entrepreneur and investor focused on finance, real estate, tech, and emerging markets. So we're going to touch on a little bit of all that. Uh, Joel, welcome to Canada's podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Well, and before I actually get into your entrepreneurial, just tell me what that is behind you. Just give me a little <laughs> so, so one one of the companies I started uh, is a manufacturing business called Vitalis, and we make a botanical extractor. So I, I'm sure we'll touch on this, but with with some of the changes in in normal business, you know, we usually do a lot of trade shows, and uh, so one of the trade shows, which was the biggest one of the year, uh, is usually in Las Vegas. That of course is not happening, so it's online. So our staff, uh, you know, this is one of the extraction platforms we manufacture and we have a bit of a, like a, a video hub, if you will. So I stole it for this podcast because it's a cool background. Okay, awesome. And that is just no small botanical extraction machine back there, let me tell you. It, it isn't, it isn't. <laughs> Maybe before it's over, I'll run over and stand next to it because I okay, think scale perfect. is lost here, yeah. <laughs> perfect. Okay, so it's bigger than, bigger than you. Yeah, and that's, you know, we do make, we make industrial scale equipment. So there's big and then there's bigger than that one as well. Well, and I'm going, I am going to touch on that a little bit, but tell me a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. Uh, you know what? I, yeah, I can't <laughs> really stay start? still, right? Yeah. Vitalis was my, my 16th startup when, when we started, I mean, a lot of, I, I started in, you know, background in finance, you, you know, was going to be a stockbroker and was doing my Canadian securities and, you know, first year of college moved out, bought a house with a friend and, uh, you know, we couldn't afford much. So, uh, you know, we bought this tiny little apartment and did some renos to it. And then he met a girl and uh, I had to sell it. And, and that was kind of how I, I was forced into my first fix and flip. So got pretty active in the real estate side, which was great. Uh, put a private equity fund together um, to, to buy up some of that cheap Arizona real estate during one of those downturns. Started to reinvest a lot of that um, in, into commercial property in Canada and then, you know, stumbled in really into the legal cannabis market when I became the tenant to uh, one of the early, early licensed growers in, in the Health Canada framework. And then, you know, invested in a, a fertilizer business and a lighting company and then started financing some of these machines back there. And then we really went out to standardize to one platform. And couldn't get the customization we were looking for. So had a good friend uh, who was an engineer and, and still is, but, you know, said, hey, could you build me a couple of these? And, uh, you know, the rest, the rest is history, as they say. Can you give me an idea of just your timeline? Joel, when was that? When was the start of Vitalis? I mean, he and I started talking about it seven years ago. Um, we, we really started moving on the company six years ago, Vitalis. Us is, you know, incorporation date, I believe is probably five and a half years old now. Um, but we are the largest manufacturer in the world for this type of equipment for the cannabis and hemp space. Now it works in a lot of other industries, but that's really where, where we dominated. Uh, so, you know, we've got offices on four continents and, uh, you know, service staff because selling, selling equipment like that is one piece of the puzzle and then servicing it is another. When we were talking, I was looking at your website. I was that the image of your whole team, right, is is there and super dominant. I just can you give me some insight on how you get from 
in five and a half years to having, you know, over a hundred staff. Is that right? Is that, did I get the number right? Yeah, we were, we were up to like one, 120 at the peak. So you're, you have that many staff in actual manufacturing uh, in BC here, and you have four offices in four continents in five and a half years. Just mm-hmm. give me some insight on that scale. I mean, that's pretty rapid <laughs> growth, really. Well, you know, it wasn't without many lessons. And, <laughs> and, you know, I think ultimately, you know, I have two partners in the business and, and we are three very distinct specialties, right? And, um, you know, James is the engineer and, and really the brains behind all of our designs. Before COVID, I, I was uh, a lot of travel, business development, you know, exploring new markets and kind of paving the way as to when we were coming in. Uh, and then, you know, our, our third partner was more on the operational side. So that really helped. You know, I think the, the diverse experience that we brought forward also really helped. For me, you know, I, I, am, uh, I love being the, the stupidest person at the table. It means we've got a good table together. So, you know, my business mentor relationships. I don't, I don't and, know. <laughs> <I don't> know. <laughs> well, you know, like I, I'm, I'm very, very comfortable asking for help and, and listening. And, and really, you know, there was a lot when we were scaling this business that we didn't know. I mean, frankly, there, there still is. I mean, as we expand into food and, and uh, flavorings and pharma and other industries, um, you know, there's, there's still lots to learn. And, and I guess I, I'm just, I'm, I'm a forever student and kind of addicted to that process. Awesome. And there's a benefit in a three-legged stool, you know, with your operations, your engineering, and your biz dev. I think that's a magic formula. For sure. What what continents are you on, just out of curiosity? So, I mean, manufacturing for us is all in British Columbia. So that's actually where I'm sitting right now. I'm in, in one of our locations here. So in, in Kelowna is where we make all of this equipment. And, and that's been phenomenal you know it's a, for those who haven't been i mean it, it's a great four season uh, you know it's wine country which i love we've got <laughs> the lake in the summertime you've got great skiing and snowboarding in the winter time so it, it kind of touches all all boxes um it's been a great uh tool for us recruiting people uh you know there's a lot of people who want to come and live here especially if you're a top engineer in the oil and gas uh sector then you were usually Northern Alberta. So the idea of being able to get from Northern Alberta into Kelowna has worked very well for us. Um, so that, you know, that, that was great. Uh, you know, we have offices East and West coast in the U S uh, we have an office in Latin America and Colombia. Um, you know, and then our main hub for Europe is in Rotterdam. Okay. Our equipment's big goes usually across on boats. We've flown a couple, but, uh, you know, if, if you need it there quickly, you can put it in an airplane. But most of our stuff goes goes into our warehouse in Rotterdam in, in the Netherlands. Uh, and then, you know, we have a center in Australia as well, which looks after Oz and New Zealand. Oh, wow. Is there anything uh, that is common between those countries in the in the cannabis sector? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the lessons, the process of, of sort of those evolving markets, right? Traditionally, they can, you know, Patients take a little while to get going. You know, extraction facilities traditionally take a lot more time to build than you than you'd expect. And you know, ultimately, in, in the cannabis space, a lot of the professionals are coming from like pharma or or some other industry. So there's a lot of there's a learning process. It's a very very steep learning curve anytime you're kind of creating the market. The other consistent is change, right? I mean, that's that's kind of the only guarantee is especially when you look at the cannabis or hemp markets and how quickly they've moved, right? The only guarantee is that they won't be the same uh, in, in a year from now or 
as we joke, it moves in dog years. So in seven years from now. Right. Let's talk a little bit about Canada's position in um, botanical uh, market. What, what, how would you define it? It's been a great moment for Canadians, right? I mean, we've really led this on a global scale. There's a lot of people watching us. We have made a ton of mistakes, but we were first, right? And, and it's certainly paved a way. Um, this is, you know, be it public markets and, and companies like Canopy or Aurora or Afria, they've made their mistakes as well. But, you know, we're, we're leading it from a public market banking side. Um, we're, we're leading it from a, a kind of industry side. I mean, the, the dominant players are all Canadian companies right now. If they can get their feet under them and, and really execute well, then I think it's, it's, it's our market to continue to dominate. And, and from a market of this size and with the potential that's here, it, it's a great moment to be Canadian. I mean, I'm very proud that way, but, uh, you know, it's, it's been a lot of fun being able to build this from BC. Well, and it's interesting for me because I had a co-working space and, and had some events, hosted some events, which was really just creating a safe place for people to talk uh, just prior to legalization. And so I'm new to the awareness of the sector, but uh, just how um, professional it is and how, you know, how big it is. It, it yeah. you know, much bigger than I ever anticipated and much more public now that we're legalized here in Canada. The The big question that was difficult to answer a couple of years ago, and I'm curious what your perspective is, is the culture of uptake if you like, or the perceived yeah. culture in botanicals and natural medicines and things like that. What, where, where do you think we sit now? So again, you know, Canada's led and, and now I think, you know, what's been very, very interesting is as Canada and the Canadian LPs have been looking to go elsewhere, right. In, in moving into Europe where it's a purely pharma market, you know, they've had to bring in uh, EU GMP experts. So like more pharmaceutical experience and expertise Companies like Nova Nordic in, in Denmark or experts from, you know, the Johnson and Johnson's, the, you know, the, the large GSKs, like big pharma companies. So the level of documentation and sophistication to make sure that you have a, a, an output that doesn't change when you get into medicinal markets, that's essential. Um, so that's been really interesting. But one of the fascinating parts, because a lot of those pharma people coming over have not dealt with cannabis before. So there's kind of this, the teams that have done it very successfully have, have merged those two expertises together, right? The, the people who may have come out of, uh, you know, California's uh, a recreational market, and a lot of people say, oh, we're, we're so different than that. But what's been learned there and, and how they're separating off terpenes or, or how they're getting broad spectrum or how they're removing THCs out of, out of CBD so that it could be shipped across borders there's so many lessons to be learned. And when those teams can really, really work well together, I think that's, that's, that makes a, a successful business. So do you think we've kind of overcome collectively the, the negative perception? No. So we're, we're, what are the roadblocks that we have to get over? <laughs> Not even close. The conversation in Canada is, is totally different than it, than it has been. I mean, if I think back to when we made our first investment, I mean, you know, I became the tenant to that, cannabis company, I mean, calling Royal Bank and saying, uh, these, these guys have a legal uh, marijuana cultivation operation. Like, are you going to call my mortgage if, if I take them in? And, you know, that, that was unheard of at the time. And, and ultimately, 
you know, in full transparency, I did usher them out of my office after they said, hey, we have a license. And I laughed and said, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> but, you know, looked into it and, and uh, you know, invited them back and, uh, you know, a, a, a admitted that I was wrong. <laughs> but, you know, it was, it's, it's, it's evolved very quickly, but we're still not there yet. I mean, we've, we've opened the doors for natural medicines. I think, you know, anecdotally, the, the patients are driving and, and the results that some patients have seen getting off opioids or, or managing pain in a different way or whatever it may be, Gervais syndrome and seizures and, and CBD, right? There's been some undeniable benefits, which is getting some of the physicians to open their minds a little bit to, to this type of medicine, which has been great. Um, and I think that's, that's going to continue. I mean, we're starting to see it now in the psychedelics industry, you know, clinical trials with psilocybin or clinical trials with MDMA. So there's still lots of work to be done. And we are still, you know, in the, in the first or second inning of, of really what, what can be done globally here. And I think as soon as we get out of Canada and, and you go to, you know, Europe or United Kingdom or, or somewhere, there's still, you know, it's, it's very early there. So how, from your perspective, um, one of the dangers of being in an emerging market is, uh, and I think it would be, I'm kind of bouncing back your own words, is coming out too hard, too fast, or or hard and fast and being able to maintain that momentum. What are your insights, Joel, on helping keep Canada at the forefront? What, How do we maintain our position as a leader in this emerging market? I mean, I, I think we need to not be too apologetic, like we made some mistakes, and, and but at least the Canadian federal legalization framework is together. It's not perfect, but it's together. If you look at the lack of federally legal cannabis in the US makes, you know, you have like the, the 50 countries of cannabis essentially, right? Like Oregon operates completely <laughs> different from Washington, completely different from California. You know, our banking side and, and taking companies public, some have done exceptionally well and really moved the industry forward and, and some have sort of spiked and, and maybe there were some bad actors involved. But again, I think we need to take the lessons and learn and, and move on as we go into other markets. But ultimately, learning from those mistakes and not repeating them is very important. Um, but also being being thoughtful about like it took some time for our physicians to get on side the the patients, you know, some of the, the groups who may be against it. I mean, that's going to happen again as you roll out into any new market, right? The UK and the NHS, you saw very similar back and forth. I mean, Italy and, and what they've just done with CBD, it's it's still very much in flux. I mean, they're they're essentially going through what we went through three or four years ago, depending on who you ask. Right. And what um if uh if we could kind of wave a magic wand and have a an ecosystem, if you like, in Canada, what are some of the gaps that are missing that you'd love to see filled? It's a great question. Some of the gaps, I, I mean, again, I, I think I'd love to see it when it, when it comes to cannabis, I'd love to see those, those groups work very well together, right? You know, the, the people who have that legacy cannabis knowledge, and then the, you know, the pharma, the documentation, the consistency, right? To, to kind of keep elevating that level of outputs, right? I mean, anytime you look at a medicinal product or a recreational product with recalls, you know, that's, uh, that, that doesn't do much for, for trust, right? Even the regulators, you know, learning and, and talking to each other, right? Learn from what 
when when other countries are putting their regulations together you know learn from what did canada do well what did canada do do poorly and hopefully we can sort of pave the way let's just add the layer of the current economic climate into the conversation not so much the last 10 months cuz you know but worst investment we all made was a 2020 planner this year. Um, let's talk about like the next sort of, you know, 12, 24, however many years that a little recovery will take for you guys. Where would you like to see some momentum happen from your perspective? I guess, you know, if, if we talk about some of our assets, like, like Vitalis, for instance, right? I mean, we, we have had to adapt and adjust. We can ship equipment, but, you know, shipping technicians to go and train and install, uh, you know, from Canada to globally, wherever we, we serviced. I mean, that's become far more problematic. You send somebody for one week and then they have to, they have to uh, quarantine for two on the way home. So, uh, you know, we've been training different teams. We've been doing a lot more things virtually. Um, I think some of that's been fantastic, right? I mean, a lot of the travel that I did in the last couple of years, maybe I didn't need to, right? So it's been an eye opener that way. Uh, you know, to go from 250 days to zero, I, I definitely miss some of it, but I don't know if I need to go back to uh, to the crazy pace that I was, for sure. So, you know, there, there's been some learnings there. We, we've actually uh, had the time to reinvest in a lot of R&D, um, which has been fantastic. There were sort of projects and innovations that we really wanted to move forward on the pre and post processing. So, you know, like we see the bottlenecks and and, you know, we really want to be able to help our clients streamline their processes you know so we've been able to to invest a lot of time and effort and resources into innovating some technology after the extraction step so that's been that's been fantastic okay i'm gonna ask a little bit about your ideal client can you describe them is it a grower or a producer or who who, yeah i mean you know our, our clients our clients here are definitely on the on the processing side. So they'd be, you know, some are growing and processing, they'd be vertically integrated. Others are just buying biomass, processing it, and then, you know, selling a final product. You know, I guess going back to your wave of magic wand question, one one of our ideal clients is, is really truly somebody who understands the business they're getting into, or, or, you know, understands what they don't know, right, so that we can properly educate them through it. Because, deciding on a piece of capital equipment like that, you know, you really need to know how much are you going to be putting in and what kind of products are you going to be looking to make uh, in your lab, right? Both now and in the future. Where's the tipping point for, and I'll describe it as a client or, or a buyer to be a grow, to be vertically integrated. Where's the, where's that cost yeah. point, right? Where maybe you should consider being both. So interestingly, some states require it, right? Like Florida, for instance, you you have to be vertically integrated all the way through. But if, if we remove ourselves from, from cannabis for a second, right? A lot of groups would become vertically integrated once they've mastered one step. If you look at, you know, McDonald's growing their, their potatoes and, you know, all the way down to owning the beef farms, it, there's pros and cons to it, right? And they may not have started like that, but they've sort of gained buying power or, or bought businesses because it made sense, right? So ultimately, if you try and tackle everything, you're increasing your risk. And if, if you have experts in growing and an understanding of what it's going to take, you have experts in extraction and an understanding of what it's going to take, 
and you're a consumer products goods expert and you know what that's going to take, you know, then maybe um, it, it's a good idea. If you have to for, for just the way the, the laws in, in your state or, or country, province, wherever you are, um, then, you know, you may be forced into it. But ultimately, it's probably best to start one, master it, and then look at the others. Is there any... Uh... And forgive me if I'm asking a question, if you have client privilege, but are there any examples that you can think of where they mastered the growing, um, even if it's a collective, mastered the growing, mastered the extraction and mastered that consumer good ratio? Yeah, boom, this is a great example. Yeah, I mean, we're still so early in, in these markets that, you know, if you look at like when Alan Gertner used to say this all the time, you know, when, when you look at the coffee market, when it came out, like good coffee was strong coffee. And, and I think we're at that phase right now. We, so there are some people who love, you know, these niche products or like, you know, ice water hash or, or you know, in, in the cannabis industry, there's all these sort of subsets of dabs and pre-rolls and vape cartridges that so many of us have heard about, but there's so many different levels of quality within there. Um, there are some people who are shopping on price. There are some people who are, uh, you know, shopping on, on purely just terpene profile or so it's still so varied. And I think that's important to think about when like the consumer hasn't finished evolving, right? Those trends are still very, very fast to move. So when you're putting your infrastructure together, you really have to be thoughtful about how wide are the operating parameters of my lab because the consumer preferences are, are varying at, at such a wild rate. Do you have any young people in your life? that you influence kids or nieces or nephews or anything like that? I, you know what? I, I still have a lot of family in Winnipeg. I'm from Winnipeg originally. Moved a great place to be from. So still have lots of nieces, nephews there. And, you know, lots of kids running around on the Vitalis front here. None of, none of my own. The reason for my question, and so I'm going to just kind of dig in from a personal perspective, is I am a new consumer right? As far as dabbled uh, a couple of years ago when I started these events and a girlfriend said to me, and you can't host an event if you've never tested. So I walked into the dispensary for the first time a couple of years ago and went, okay, so I'm in the age where I grew up and cannabis was illegal, right? So it, it, it never entered my mindset as a viable consumer experience. Now, you know, my kids and my friends' kids are growing up where cannabis is legal. You know, there's probably going to be a, a store on one corner that says liquor store, and then there's going to be a, a store on this corner that says cannabis store. And so th this next generation is is growing up with a totally different mindset. So how do you imagine the this consumer evolving in a, in a good way for that next generation? Like, really, we're kind of training the next generation of Consumers. Yeah, you know what I mean. There are some there are some retailers because I think a lot of that education is going to happen at the retailer level, right? I mean, you know, cannabis was sort of taboo, and and you know, at at one point, alcohol was as well, right? So imagine if all of a sudden these liquor stores opened up that had all this choice, and you just walked into it. It's it's kind of hard for people to imagine, right? But it it you need somebody to talk you through what's the difference between this grape and that grape when I'm looking at this wine. What's the difference between bourbon and vodka. Um, but when you go to cannabis, there's so many other nuances because a lot of people may be using it to, to treat an ailment or anxiety or, or wherever, whatever your use may be. But 
the retailers can't necessarily, well, they, in Canada, they can't make any of those claims, which is reasonable. But, you know, part of that experience is going to be retailer led, right? Is, is the store well organized? Is there the right staff behind the counter to answer those questions? And, you know, if you look at someone like Mimi Lam of, of Suprat, they have a brilliant way of, you know, different baskets mean different things. You know, you pick up this color, it means I'm just here to get my stuff, buy and leave. I pick up this color and it's like, hey, I, I could use some help. This is new. Super simple way of just kind of saying this is this is how much help I need without having to, right? Especially as a, as a new emerging market. Okay, this is totally interesting. I just want to ask one question in relation to, you know, that's a big piece of equipment. So is there financing available? How does somebody decide to be a lab? And you go back to your, your question of waving the magic wand, right? I mean, traditionally, if you're if you're building a brewery or if you're you're you know buying a tractor to to plant carrots or you know you're traditionally farming or corn or anything, you usually have finance support. Still, even though we have federal legalization in Canada, a lot of the banks are still kind of at arm's length here. So, you know, it, it, usually in capital expenses like a piece of equipment or you know, bakery ovens or a, a brewer's equipment or a winery's equipment, you can get financing. It's just starting now, but it's still usually at higher rates. It's usually private investors. So we do have some financing support, but it wouldn't be like um, like getting a mortgage at these great rates that exist now or buying a car at 0%. That's not quite here yet because the big banks aren't supporting the companies who are buying with, with leverage at, at reasonable rates. So we're it's a catch twenty two, right? We're an emerging market. We want to stay ahead, uh, but access to capital is probably a bit of a, a challenge or a roadblock right now. Big time, especially now. But so tell me, you know, talk about integrated um, ecosystem here. Do and you have a finance company as well? So we, yeah, I mean, you know, much like when, when we started a lot of our, our ventures, it's kind of been out of demand, right? So. There were a lot of banks who wanted to get into the space, but didn't understand cannabis, right? I mean, you know, as Michigan comes online, somebody says, oh, I'll lend to you, but I need three years of audited financials. Well, the program hasn't been around for three years, so that's an impossibility. So you really can't support this entrepreneur. You know, there is a lot of startups. It is an emerging market. You kind of have to understand the risk. And, and you know, the lenders, uh, traditionally borrowers were looking at equity or debt. And so it's still expensive debt, but oftentimes, if you know what you're doing, that's that can be cheaper than than equity, but still early days. People can connect with you, Joel, not just for uh, for extraction equipment, but for financing in the sector. So financing again, you know, really, uh, I, I we I, I was one of the founders, but uh, there's a really really great team there. Leo, our CEO of Spectrum Leasing, um, Susan, our controller, and, and Rebecca, who's we're all on that team. But I can absolutely put you in touch. Perfect. Now, you already touched a little bit on Kelowna, but let's talk a little bit about Western Canada being a hub, you know, and a reason for doing business here in British Columbia, maybe in the sector or just generally what's happening in the lower mainland and in Kelowna. You know what I mean? Kelowna's had had a lot. I mean, there's once you get involved in the community here, there's some really innovative manufacturing businesses here, which, you know, to be honest, before I was in the space, I, I didn't know them all. Right. I mean, Kelowna Flightcraft was one that lots of people talked about, but there's a lot of smaller, really, really impressive ones as well. So that's been fantastic. Um, the technology space in Kelowna has, has been booming. And, um, you know, 
the city's been doing a lot of uh, initiatives on, on its own marketing. So it, it's been really nice for, for talent acquisition, even from the East Coast. There's a lot of people who want to want to get out this way. So there's the big uh, move to out West. There's a big, to me, that just reinforces a connection between, you know, the need for a community to position itself, not just with, outdoor, you know, activities that they can do, but, you know, the business culture and the business climate in order for the local companies to attract talent and expand. If you could, uh, if you could brand Kelowna in a global market for person, for total self-serving purposes, what would you brand it? You know what? I mean, honestly, it's so funny where maybe we wouldn't right? for total self-serving purposes, right? I mean, if Kelowna had a million people in it, it might not have the same charm. Right. You know, I mean, the vineyards, the lake, you know, the, the, the world-class skiing all close, you know, I, I couldn't tell you which one of those three, you'd almost have to like make a hybrid of, of all of them. But <laughs> I think once people understood what's here, uh, you know, it's nice that it's kind of a, a, a small, great community. Well, and I think uh, that, you know, we have to build on the fact that we are uh, globally renowned for BC bud, right? <laughs> as far as Fair, anywhere you travel helps. in the world, the, it, even as a as a non or new consumer, the, the reputation precedes us with BC. True. A lot of local expertise, as they say. <laughs> exactly. Joel, any final comments for our listeners here? Yeah, you know what? You, you can find us on uh, vitalisect.com. That's Vitalis Extraction Technology. And then you can find me on most of those social channels and reach out if you got any questions. Love to chat. Well, and I'll add too that Joel has another initiative is you've got your own podcast. Uh, just give me a quick, quick synopsis of uh, the Extraction Insiders. Yeah, again, one of those uh, sort of innovation pieces, right? I mean, you know, as, as we were saying, we used to do a lot of trade shows and we love the the concept of family dinner where we'd have clients and uh, and and people new to the industry and, and get them together. And usually there was good food and good wine and, and good conversation. So can't do that right now. So we started the podcast, which has, uh, we're doing our best to just continue those conversations, learn from the lessons that uh, some of our more experienced clients, uh, mistakes they've made, how to avoid that, best practices, and some of the surprises along the way. So we don't take it too seriously. It's usually a pretty casual conversation with great people. It is. And I'll totally mimic that, that great conversations with great people, I think is what your podcast is all about. So if you're in the business and want to have a little inside scoop on extraction and and where it's going uh check out joel's or vitalis is is it vitalis that's actually hosting it yeah vitalis awesome joel thank you so much we learned a lot about Kelowna and about uh the equipment that you're producing and the and proud to of course have vitalis here as one of the world's biggest manufacturers of uh botanical extractor equipment thanks for having me